When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Solar Business with Blaine Bartlett. I am your host, Blaine Bartlett. Um, you know, I just got back from vacation and uh, this is an evergreen show, but I just want to mention this because it's relevant to what my guest is going to be bringing to the table today. And I say vacation. I was in London for uh, uh, about 10 days and then my wife and I came home for two days and then we jetted off to uh, Hawaii and spent 12 days in Hawaii. Uh, some beautiful properties. And um, the idea of holiday, the idea of vacation, the idea of matching you know, luxury and lifestyle. This is where I'm really kind of intrigued here. Uh, and my guest today, um, Chris Adams, is the founder and CEO of an organization called EAG, uh, you know, Ellis Adams Group. And they do bring luxury and lifestyle together. Uh, you know, Chris's background, you know, Ritz Carlton, uh, hotel. He's in the hospitality industry. Um, you founded um, EAG uh, how many years ago? Uh, EAG was launched back in 2014. I was part of another uh, company prior to that, um, okay. but we split uh, split the company and then officially launched EAG in, in January of 2014. 2014. Okay. So um, yeah, my guest, obviously, you know, Chris Adams, again, the founder and CEO of uh, Ellis, uh, uh, Adams Group, EAG, Ellis Adams Group. Chris, yeah, I yeah, I start off everything with with a question here that is organized around you know the title of this show, uh, the soul of business. When you hear the soul of business, and I'd like you to kind of answer this in the context of you know, luxury slash lifestyle intersection, um, because this is a, a you know as a business traveler, road warrior. I mean, I've I've, I've got 5 million air miles. It's kind of like, you know, I've been around the world a whole bunch of times here. When you hear the soul of business, what does that evoke for you specifically in terms of what you're doing with your organization right now? Yeah, you know, I think that's one, it's a great question because I think it lends itself to so many different answers based on where you are in your company. And I think for us, when you say, when you ask me that question, I, the, the word soul um, is, is what immediately jumps out at me. And the one thing that we are passionate about, and I, I just just was speaking at a workshop yesterday, and there's two things that I'm extremely passionate about, anybody that knows me, and, and that is the two L's for me, and that's luxury and leadership. And I think yeah. when we talk about luxury and lifestyle and what our company does, you know, the term luxury is thrown around, thrown around a lot. And, you know, I think most people think of luxury as something that, um, has big dollar signs attached to it. And that's what they consider luxury. For us and what we believe is that luxury is nothing more than a feeling, right? And, and I think that when you talk about how you make someone feel, 
that really determines your level of luxury and, and lifestyle for us. And I think we have this written somewhere on our website even says it's not based on economics. Lifestyle is based on where you are. Um, I've had a luxury experience in everything from a select service hotel that most people would never consider luxury. And I've had luxury at obviously at Ritz Carlton's and in, you know, Four Seasons and Mandarin Orientals. I think it's based on where you are and how that experience makes you feel. And so we want to meet our, our, our clients or those that we deal with wherever their lifestyle is. And that's, that's kind of who we are as a brand. See, now what I'm fascinated with that and the, you know, you've got three L's there, you know, luxury lifestyle and leadership. Um, my take on leadership is, you know, and people that listen to this podcast have heard me say this, you know, ad nauseum, but it's the activity of co-creating coordinated movement in a system that produces the results that I say I want. Now, when I put that in the framework of luxury and lifestyle, one of the things when I'm coaching clients that I'm working with, and I've, you know, I've worked a lot with CEOs and executives around the world, how do people feel about themselves when they're in your presence? And that's what I'm hearing you speak about you know, in terms of luxury. How do people feel about themselves when they're in the presence of your product or service? You know, do they feel luxurious? You know, whatever that evokes in people's you know, mindset. How do you go about creating that experience um, in the clientele that you actually work with? So I think it starts for us in understanding that my first client, when I'm when I'm at one of our hotels, right? If I'm at a Ritz Carlton or um, one of uh, St. Regis, when I'm at that hotel, the the immediate client, the one that actually makes this happen for us, is our internal guest. If I can't make them feel what luxury is, then how can I expect them to go make the, a guest feel what feel that luxury space? Mm-hmm. So when we're opening a hotel um, and doing an opening, going through an opening process, it's a few week long process. And from day one, when they arrive at that opening, it is a curated, choreographed, um, amazing uh, experience for them. On day one, they're arriving to something special that they walk away from day one going, I have no idea what I just signed up for. And I don't care what their position is in the hotel. They walk away feeling what luxury is. They walk away and having that feeling of, my God, I can't believe someone cares about me this much. Because once they understand what that feels like, it's a whole lot easier for them to deliver that experience to the guest when they walk in on day one. So I think for any organization, If you have a team of people that you're trying to convey something to your client, guess whatever your business is, they have to know what that feeling is first. It can't just be put in paper. It can't be something that you just talk about theoretically. They have to understand it and feel it. And once they understand what that feeling is, it is a lot easier for them to go interpret that to to the guests that they're dealing with. I love that. Yeah. And, and the reason I love that is that it speaks to something that I am absolutely you know, rabid about, which is uh, you know, engagement, emotional engagement. And yeah, you know, I've been in this game a long time. And most organizations that I've interacted with, you know, either as a consultant or actually been a part of as an employee years ago, um, I found that you know, most organizations are toxic to the human spirit. Um, because they're, you know, most business leaders, you know, I say not mo- you know, most, many business leaders 
approach their employee group as interchangeable cogs in a, in a production wheel. And people, yeah, the idea of, uh, yeah, our people are our greatest asset. Assets are depreciated for balance sheet purposes for tax reasons. Uh, our people are our greatest resource. Resources are meant to be used. And make no mistake, people are like, yeah, and you're my greatest resource. Well, you're going to use me. Yeah. Um, yeah. Or, uh, you're, or you're going to depreciate me, you know, one way or the other here. So bringing that sensibility into that process, you know, where people are seen as a true asset, not to be depreciated, but actually to be leveraged in a, in a, in, a, in curated. Yeah. I'd, I'd like to know just kind of what's, what's the, um, developmental path that you set up for your people so that they, they have an opportunity to access their genius and grow. So there's a few things that, um, and I think this speaks probably to a much bigger conversation of where we're at with labor issues across the board mm -hmm. and whatnot. But I think there's a, there's a huge dis discrepancy between the creation of culture at an organization and the cultivation of culture. Uh, I think organizations do a great, I mean, I can, I yeah. can list, for hours, companies that have amazing culture on paper, something that they have created in a boardroom. And this mm -hmm. is what we sell the dream to, to get people to come on board. That's the easy part. The cultivation of that, that after you've hired them on and they drink the Kool-Aid, are they still drinking it eight months later, a year later, two years later? And I think that's where we have failed of cultivating the culture. Do we truly believe it and live it? And if we're talking about my organization specifically, when we bring people on to our team, we don't bring people on because we just have a need and we have to find somebody to fill a void. I need the right fit for who we are as a company, but not just that. I need to know that I'm a right fit for them. The biggest thing that people miss in this is when I'm going through an interview process, I want to know about you. I want to learn about you. You have dreams and aspirations just like I do. Right. Mm -hmm. What makes my dreams and aspirations more important than yours? So I need to know what those are. So I believe it is my job as a leader of my organization to wake up every day and clear the path to allow my team to be great. It is my job to find in them what they didn't even realize they were amazing at and to expose it. It is my job to, to put them in situations they never thought they were capable of. That's my role as a CEO of my company. If I don't know what your dreams and aspirations are, how am I helping you achieve them? All you're doing is achieving mine. That's not a win for either of us because ultimately you are going to fall out of culture with my company, which means I have to then work on a way to get you out, to replace you with somebody else that will drink the Kool-Aid for long enough to get me to my next goal. That's not helping either of us in the big scheme of me growing my organization and helping you get to where you want to be. So I've taken a, a totally different approach than probably most people would. And hey, look, to each their own, what works for you. I'm not telling you that mine is the, is the end all be all. You need to figure out what works for you. But for me and what, um, what I'm passionate about and what I believe gets the most out of those individuals that work alongside EAG, that's what, that's what makes me tick is seeing them um, you know, glow, to be honest with you, when we're on calls because they're doing something they never thought they were going to do when they're able to, to, to be in a situation around people they never thought they'd be around, when they're asked to do things that they didn't think they were capable of and they succeed at it, those are the things that make me happy, which makes them happy. 
And, you know, as a result, our company continues to flourish because of it. And I believe, I believe at our core, that's why. You know, um, I, I, I love this. Um, the idea of flourishing, the idea of I can't grow as an organization unless you're growing as, as, as a part of my organization. You know, they, that interconnectedness, you know, everything is connected in some way, shape or form. Um, you talk about flourishing and, you know, we're, we're coming off the backside of uh, probably one of the most disruptive uh, economic events uh, in most of our lives, lifetimes. Yeah, the, Dep- the Great Depression notwithstanding, um, but most of us weren't around for that uh, at this point in, time, you know, in our lives. Yeah. How, how, have, you know, how has EAG actually weathered, you know, not just survived, but you know, weathered the, the pandemic in a way that has actually set you up to flourish? Um, I could not be more grateful and fortunate for the situation we're in, you know, I went, we went through that and most of our clients and who we dealt with, they went through furloughs and and cuts Mm -hmm. and, and, um, we did the exact opposite. Um, we grew, (laughs) we gave bonuses, we gave raises, um, we added people to our team, um, and expanded. And, you know, obviously people will know, okay, how, like, what, what did you do? And look, let's be clear. I didn't have some magic eight ball. I'm not some, you know, guru attached to the market that just knew exactly what was going to happen. But what we did do was this. When, when everything hit the fan, um, I, was, I just got back to, uh, to my place and I was sitting there with my significant other. And, you know, at, at that point, all you heard when you turned on, I don't care if it was the radio, the television, social media was essentially the world's coming to an end. Yeah. How, how are you going to go? I mean, that's, that's pretty much what that, I don't care what you turned on. There was only two things that I saw doom and gloom or people dancing on TikTok and, and just acting like nothing was happening whatsoever. And they were on a vacation, right? There, there was literally the one side or the other of the spectrum of what we were experiencing that moment. And I said, you know, I had, a, I had people that I was obviously talking to and they were man, this is great. I'm in my pajamas every day. You know, I don't have to deal with the office or whatnot. And I said, you know what? I I looked, I looked at her and I said, we're going to do something different. I said, I've got to do something. I can't just sit here. One, I went into research mode because I'm a data junkie. And I know for a fact that during the last crash of what took place, and we were talking that 2007, 08 crash. Yep. Basically, some of the greatest companies that we now get to experience were established during the crash, right? People that went on a limb, took a, took a chance. They saw opportunity when other people saw loss, right? So I said, okay, well, that's something to, to take note of. This is an, potentially an opportunity in, in the same scenario to come out of this way bigger on the other side than, than where we started. But you still have to you still have to have some form of a roadmap or a critical, critical path to get you to that place. And the only thing I knew to do at that moment, Blaine, was I said, I'm going to wake up every day. I'm going to get dressed to the nines like I'm going to the office. And I'm going to go sit in front of my desk. I'm going to turn a camera on. And I'm going to give people two minutes of hope. That's it. I said, I don't, if there's anything else I know how to do, it's that I can tell you in the moment of whatever you're feeling with, with the angst, anxiety is I can give you two minutes of hope. I can, I can tell you what to do today to help you get to tomorrow. 
I can tell you how to, to take away the, the depression of today and look for excitement of tomorrow in some way, shape, or form. And if nothing else comes of it, I'm giving myself therapy. If no one else watches this, I was at least speaking life and hope into myself. Mm -hmm. In the midst of doing that, I did that for almost 45 days straight. I got up every single day and posted a, a one to three minute video of, and man, this was everything from um, helping you figure out how to um, get more organized in, in your life. This was how to, how to achieve your goals. This was, I mean, it was all, I, every topic you could think of, but every single topic was some form of positivity to help you see hope versus what was being put across the newscast. And the, the number of people that reached out to me that said, you got me through today. Um, I, I found a purpose in the midst of this. I figured out in the midst of this, what I'm actually supposed to be doing in life. It was mind blowing to me uh, how many people responded to, to just that two to three minutes of me just trying to put something out there of positivity. That was the catalyst for everything that was going to come and happen for us over the next 18 months. From that, we, we launched another division of our company that has absolutely blown up. We've added people to that division of the company. It's exceeded well over the million dollar mark in the first 18 months of, of that. Like it's been one thing after another. And again, I don't, I'm no better than anybody else other than I took a risk mm -hmm. um, that no one else was willing to take at that time because everybody was cutting. Let's, how do we hold on to what we have? And I said, you know what, let's spend everything we got to try and, and, and make something out of this. And I, I am a, a firm believer in, I am going to put out what I want to receive back. I put out hope. Magic. I put out positivity. I put out, we are going to beat this. We're going to come out stronger on the other side. And by God, we have. And I, I again, I don't know that that's the best formula, but it worked for us. Um, and I know a lot of people that responded to it and, and were um, hopeful within the, their circumstances um, because of it. And that, that's what we did. Yeah, I, lo I love this. We're going to take a real quick break here. Um, and I'm going to uh, come back to this because what you're talking about is something that uh, I, I came across the other day, a little quote, action is the antidote to despair. And I want to leverage that just a moment here because you know, I, I, I want to really drill in on this because the audience that's listening to this, I think that this is absolute gold. So we're going to take a real quick break, folks. Um, and when we come back, uh, we will rejoin this conversation with Chris Adams. And we'll see you in just a few, uh, actually about a minute and a half. Okay. Well, thank you for listening. Um, I want to also invite you right now to go to blainebartlett.com. And on that site, which is my personal website, you'll see uh, services up on the top menu. I'd like you to click on Leadership Mastermind. Now, why I want you to do that is we have uh, structured a mastermind program that is very unusual and it is very powerful. And by going onto that site and clicking that link, you'll be taken to a landing page that is an invitation to join this mastermind. It's a 52-week-long 
exploration of what it takes to be a highly effective leader in today's fast-changing environment. You won't regret it. And if you've been liking what you've been listening to on these Soul of Business podcasts, how does one become a leader that can keep connection to the soul of business? That's what we look at. That's what we're about in this mastermind program. So again, go to blainebartlett.com and click on the services link. And there you'll find the link to the Leadership Mastermind program. Look forward to seeing you there. Thanks for listening to this little commercial. And now back to our show. Welcome back. You are listening to the Soul of Business with Blaine Bartlett. I am, like I said earlier, your host, Blaine Bartlett. Um, listening to uh, and speaking with Chris Adams, the founder and CEO uh, of a fascinating company that uh, I, I, I'm absolutely uh, enthralled with here, Ellis Adams Group. Uh, 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 hospitality group. Before we took the break, um, Chris was talking about uh, what I consider to be probably one of the best ways that I've heard recently about how we can actually move beyond the unexpected perturbation <laughs> of calamity <laughs> that, that, that occurs here. And one of the things that I was intrigued with was the idea, and, and I'm not sure that it was hyperbole, I think that you actually meant this when you said this, is rather than consolidating our funds and, and waiting this out, let's just spend what we got and make it and make something happen. Yeah. So the, it was not, we spent it. You, you did, yeah. <laughs> there, there, and, there was and a that's moment, not there was hyperbole. A yeah. Doing like, the right, unexpected, doing the uncommon, taking action. And I loved specifically, you know, and, and one of the reasons I loved this is because it's similar to what I did. Um, yeah, just saying, I don't know what to do, but I'm just going to sit in front of a microphone for two hours or two hours, two minutes, three minutes, whatever it is, and just bring some hope to what others might be able to uh, uh, leverage so that life can go on. You know, we did something, you know, a, a friend of mine, uh, when this occurred, it was a black swan event. So I, I did a series of seminars and seminars, little webinars, and they were maybe 20 minutes. I think they were only about 20 minutes long called the black swan event. And just kind of, what does this mean? What do we do with this? How do we play with this? What, you know, what are some things that you've never thought of doing that you could do in the face of what you think is calamity? And it was fascinating, the response that we got off of that, because uh, it was unexpected. I mean, it was just kind of, you know, I'd never been, in, you know, had, had done any, I literally had never done any live streaming. That wasn't part of my business model at all. How did the organization respond to that? I mean, I, I've got a sense that I know that, you know, already, but I want to ask, you know, what may seem like a rhetorical question. How did the organization respond to that? Yeah. Um, you know, emotionally, viscerally, physically, uh, in, in terms of action. Uh, I mean, it was, it reassured me that I was doing the right thing when I watched. So crazy enough, you know, this whole Microsoft teams and zoom and all this, that, that came out of the, uh, the pandemic, we, we had started this long before the pandemic ever started. We had a rule at our company that every meeting we have multiple days a week where we have kind of catch up meetings as a team. Kind of talk about high level stuff, what's going on, things that we, we need to take note of. Every single one of those meetings, long before the pandemic, were always video meetings. I, I, that was something I believed in long before the pandemic. I need to see you. I want to be able to look in your eyes. Um, you know, our team is traveling the world most of the time. So we're not sitting in necessarily a boardroom most of the time. 
And the idea that we're doing conference calls and I don't get to see my team and they can't see how invested I am in them and mm -hmm. staring in their eyes <laughs> virtually. Yeah. Um, we started that long before the pandemic. So it wasn't something new, I, I guess you can say, um, when, when this kind of took off for everyone else. To see my team, when they saw me every day getting on these calls, because during, when this happened, we went from having calls twice a week on Mondays and Fridays to having a daily call. I had a call every single day with my team. I wanted a check-in with them. I wanted to know where they were emotionally. I wanted to know how their families were. I want to know how their cousins were that contracted the virus. I, I, wanted to, I wanted to make sure that they knew that I was front and center in their lives personally and professionally at this point, that we weren't ducking uh, the situation. We weren't going to go silent. They weren't going to be worried. Oh my God, am I getting a paycheck this week? Is Chris going to furlough people? I wanted to be front and center with them every single day. And in doing that, they saw me getting on this screen every day. I mean, there were days that I was in a three-piece suit. And I mean, sitting at my desk and thankfully our offices um, are, are literally a block away from, from our, where I live. So it made it convenient for me going back and forth. But my team knew that I was present. And part of that came from um, I was having calls weekly with some of my mentors and really board members of what's going on, um, I, I think, as we, we look at globally, but also what are we doing for each other? How, how are we making sure that the same way I want to be there for my team, I've got people that I need that that are there for me, right? right? Everybody's got someone that they're accountable to. And um, one of my mentors, we were talking one day, and he, he was talking about a, a, a former president that was going through crisis um, in the nation. At that time, he made a point every day to, to basically be in, on, on a platform um, to ensure that the, the nation saw him every single day that he was front and center to confront what was going on and to give hope and comfort in the midst of crisis. And by God, I'm, I'm in no way, shape or form my leading a nation, but I used it, that as basically a model for our company mm -hmm. to say, I wanted to ensure that they were getting that, that hope, that message from me um, to ensure that they can give that to their families. Um, they're the people that are doing it, and also our clients. We had our clients calling us every day looking for answers. What do we do? Help us. We need to cut, but we've got to stay open. We got to save money. How do we drive revenue? I needed my team to be on their A game. The only way that was going to happen is if they didn't feel the pressures of what the world was being put was was putting on them. So I had to put our I had to put myself in a position, uncomfortable or not to ensure that they, they didn't feel what everyone else was feeling in the hopes that they were going to convey and push that out to someone else, right? We always say, it's impossible for my team to go fill others up with hope if I'm not filling them up with hope, right? You can't pour out of an empty cup. And so I needed to make sure that I was every day doing that for them so they can go push that message out to those that they were coming in contact with. And it's a ripple effect. You know, you've got one client that's like, oh my God, you're getting me through chaos and you're giving me ideas of things that are working. And next thing you know, the next client calls that we didn't have before, like, Hey, I just heard from Bill down the street that you guys are helping him do this. Help me. And it was, you know, one thing after another that really, you know, we watch growth happen um, through that. You know, I, I, 
I, I'm, I'm looking at our time here. I could keep this conversation going for a <laughs> long time. I, I, Chris, I love this. Yeah, the idea that you know, getting in front of the camera. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm just, you know, I was looking at the website here, your website. You know, your core values: uh, innovation, individuality, and evolution. And the way that you define evolution, you know, through courage, we progressively grow and create relevancy. And in that, in that time, and I mean, and it's certainly you know, carrying forward here more and more relevance yeah how are how are you know, you my people relevant to who we are how am i relevant to you i mean those sorts of you know, questions i you know and i'm making this up in my mind here but i got a hunch that that's actually kind of whether you articulated it that way or not is is how you approach this and you know there's a model that i've used sometimes where you know it's kind of think of a three-legged stool um familiarity breeds an experience of safety. Safety allows for behavioral uh, freedom, you know, flexibility. Sure. So what I'm hearing you say is by getting in front of this camera on a daily basis, rather than Monday and Friday, you began to create a sense of familiarity with the situation. Yeah, and it's not about having the answers. It's about just kind of showing up that begat a sense of safety People could breathe a little bit, and now you've got behavioral flexibility, so innovation can crop up you know, in a way that is uh, unexpected sometimes. Yeah, um, I'll be honest with you. Um, I wanted familiarity, but I didn't want it to be, let's do a happy hour every day. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Like that, that, That's a, that's was, a great way to, not, yeah. to create comfort, yep. um, and I knew, I knew exactly where you're going with that because you were dead on. That's what I wanted to do. I just wanted to make sure, and I was, I just felt, I saw so many people that were just, they went into depression and they, they were living in fear, understandably, okay? I'm not minimizing that in any way, shape, or form. It was a catastrophe, what, what took place. I wanted to make sure my team knew that I was there for them. Yeah. I wanted to make sure they knew that, that we weren't going anywhere, um, that everything as well as it could be, was going to be all right. And I kept telling myself, we, I use a quote all the time that says, change is inevitable, but growth is optional. Yeah. Change is going to happen whether we like it or not. And unfortunately, this you know pandemic that happened forced change, right? It, it forced change upon us in, in so many different ways. That happened whether we like it or not. We can fight it all we want. That took place. Now, whether or not we're going to grow from it, that's a choice. And I wanted to make sure my team understood that horrible things are happening. You might have personal family members that are dealing with, with horrible things right now. Let's control the things we can and make sure that we come out of this better on the other side. And in that process, we're here for you. And we're going to find a way to work through this together. And, you know, we're, we're grateful so far the way things have gone. That is beautiful. Folks, we've been listening to Chris Adams, the founder and CEO of the Ellis Adams Group. Uh, where can people find out more about you know, the firm, about what you're up to? Uh, how, how, can they, how can they take advantage of your hospitality? Well, you know, obviously there's the website that you can go to and um, you can go to www.ellisadamsinc.com, um, ellisadamsinc.com, or actually even ellisadamsgroup.com. Both will take you to the same site. Uh, you could follow us along on our journey through Instagram. That's always a fun way to kind of see what we're doing. Um, and that you can follow me at Chris Adams underscore EAG 
um, or at, at Ellis Adams official. Either one of those, we'd love to, to let you join the family and, and we'd love to reach out and, and assist in any way we can. Great. I'll, I'll make sure that all of that's in the uh, in the show notes so people have uh, you know immediate access to it. Chris, I want to thank you. This has been a fascinating conversation, and I'm not kidding. I could I can yeah continue to riff on this for a long we'll time. We'll do we'll do round two. I would love to do that. As a matter of fact, uh, I do a couple of other shows uh, with a good friend of mine um, um, uh, that you know we're on Apple TV on Bloomberg TV. Uh, I'd love to be able to have you on either one of those shows and, and high, you know, literally highlight what you're, what you're up to with EAG. I appreciate it and consider it done. Okay, you got it. Folks, again, thank you for listening. Blaine Bartlett, and you're listening to The Soul of Business with Blaine Bartlett. Um, check out my website, blainebartlett.com. We've got some very interesting things going on there. Um, not the least of which is a, a leadership mastermind program that I'd like to have you check out. Um, and uh, you'll find the information on that. I'm not going to belabor it here uh, at this point in time. I, I just, again, want to thank uh, Chris Adams for uh, being just an extraordinary guest. And uh, until next time, take care and uh, make a difference in your life. You know, be a center of distribution, not a center of accumulation. Take care. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.